2 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 to 10. God speaks it to us and we want to give him attention as he speaks. I want him to be at work in us as he speaks to us. So let's ask him to be at work by his spirit. Let's pray again. Uh, Our great God and Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, word that you speak. Uh, Please do work in us. Please help us to give attention. Please help us to understand. Uh, Please help and enable us to trust you through Jesus. Amen. Faith is not the ability to believe something which is obviously untrue. Faith is not deciding to think something even though there is no evidence. At least Christian faith isn't. Everyone lives as if something is true. Uh, Ask a few questions and perhaps you'll begin to hear your friends speak it. Uh, What they value, uh, what they think about reality, how they see themselves, their purpose, uh, what's worth their time, what isn't worth their time. Uh, whether it's ever worth doing the right thing when it's not the desired thing. And why? Uh, Perhaps you'll begin to hear why, uh, what they think about reality. Now, as you hear those thoughts, as you hear that what they think about reality, what I tend to find is that some of those thoughts are because They've been pushed there by evidence. Others are because, well, they just like the idea. It fits with what they want. A lot of people think Christian faith is like that. That it's it's deciding to think something because it fits with what we want. The scoffers scoffers who Peter talks about in this passage today They say the evidence pushed them to the point where they were certain it's stupid to think Jesus will come through on his promise. They're convinced there will be no judgment. Their advice is to forget about it and to live as if it will never happen because they're convinced it will never happen. Into that, Peter writes. He writes to remind, chapter 3, verse 1, He writes to remind because no one should forget God's word. No one should forget God's word and live as if it is untrue. Back in chapter 1, Peter says his plan is to devote his days to reminding. Here at the beginning of chapter 3, he slows down to remind them that he is writing to remind them. That's a lot of reminding. Uh, In fact, he wrote to remind them last time. The other letter was a reminder. So he's reminding them that he is reminding them and that he reminded them and his plan is to go on reminding them. What do you reckon he wants them to do? He wants them to hear what he's saying and remember what he's saying. Actually, look at what he says he wants them to remember. Verse 2, the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. See, it's fine to forget the words of false prophets. Don't worry about that. But it would be a disaster to forget the words of holy prophets. It would be a disaster to forget the words that are written in the Old Testament. 
because those words are God's words. They spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how Peter describes true prophets at the very end of chapter 1. But look how he describes the words of apostles here in verse 3. The commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. See, the apostles' words are the commandment of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I guess you could put it this way. The apostles speak from Jesus as they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter puts his words and Paul's words and the other apostles' words right alongside the Old Testament prophets' words. They are what God speaks. See, neither the words of the Old Testament nor the words of the New Testament would be more God's word to us than if God was to speak from the clouds directly to us. It wouldn't be more Jesus' word to you if Jesus stood physically in front of you and spoke to you face to face. There's zero distance between what the prophets and apostles say and what God the Father and Jesus our Savior say to us. They speak those words the words of the Bible, to you. So yes, lots of remember and reminding and reminding and reminding because it would be a disaster to forget what God speaks. Peter wanted them to remember. God wants us to remember. Not just so we can say it back and say, oh yes, I I heard that before and quote it so that we won't be knocked off course when we hear other words. So we'll remember the true word and recognize false words. You're here about a month ago. Uh, perhaps you remember what uh, Peter said in chapter 1, verses uh, 16 to 21. Uh, don't worry if you weren't. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll remind those who were. But Peter's, uh, Peter insisted that his stories about Jesus were not made up myths. He insisted he was there. Uh, He saw, he heard, others saw and heard. He he mentions that he was on the mountain when Jesus was transfigured. He glimpsed Jesus' glory. He was there and he heard God's voice carried to Jesus saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well placed. He was there and he heard God choose to echo words from the Old Testament. uh, Words that God had spoken centuries before through prophets. God spoke to his son. He echoed Psalm, chapter, Psalm 2, verse 7, uh, which says, You are my son, today I have begotten you. He echoed Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, which says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen whom my soul delights. He said to Jesus, This is my beloved son with whom I am well placed. Prophets spoken words... They were certain when God spoke them in the past through the prophets. Those words are more certain in our experience because they've begun to see their fulfillment. They've begun to see their fulfillment when God spoke them to Jesus and said, yes, here he is. Begun to see the fulfillment when we see Jesus, the servant, going to his death, pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. 
the prophet's spoken words are more certain in our experience because we see that what God said way back then has begun to be fulfilled in Jesus. But some of it is not yet fulfilled. Uh, God, God continued in Psalm uh, 2, verses 7 to 9. He said to Jesus, you're my son to get begotten you. Then he says, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. God said it, but still the nations rage. Still the ends of the earth refuse to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. It's not just the psalm that is incompletely fulfilled. Jesus said he would be betrayed and suffer and die and rise. Those have all happened. But Jesus also demanded repentance and warned of a coming judgment. He said he would return at the end of the age and bring his people safely home. But he hasn't. He hasn't returned and judgment hasn't fallen. It's been centuries for us. Even in Peter's time, it had been decades, tens of years. Scoffers scoffed at God's word. They dismissed as irrelevant the command spoken by God's prophet Moses. They dismissed as untrue the promise spoken by Jesus and repeated by Peter and the other apostles. Verse 4, they say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They think the promise is untrue. They think Jesus' promise is untrue. They think Jesus won't come back and, and God won't judge. Look back to their parents and their parents' parents and their parents' parents' parents and so on and so on and so on. And all the way back to the beginning, and they say it's always been the same. Nothing ever changes. They know the prophetic word is ancient. They know Jesus has added his own promise. And they are sure it is untrue. They say they've been pushed there because they say nothing has ever changed. I think verse 3, Peter hints at the convenience of them thinking this. You see, no return of Jesus means no judgment, and no judgment means no boundaries. If there's no judgment, then they are free uh, to follow their own sinful desires. The way they see reality fits with the way they want to see reality, the way they want to live. Peter doesn't let their their logic stand. Uh, He's going to show them evidence that they're they're deliberately overlooked. The only reason they can scoff at the idea of Jesus keeping his promise is because they've deliberately overlooked evidence. The problem isn't really lack of information. Their logic is not cold, rational assessment. They're coming to a a scientific conclusion by ignoring the most relevant pieces of evidence. They're not thinking towards truth. They're defending their lifestyle 
from the truth. They're defending their lifestyle from the truth by deliberately overlooking the most important piece, pieces of evidence. They think thoughts which give them a reason to think they're free. What their hearts desire, their wills choose, and their minds justify. Their head, heart, and life is tuned to unreality. But they don't see it. Peter's going to show them where they've gone wrong. But before we before we dig into it, like notice the irony. Because verse 3, God predicted through Peter that scoffers would come in the last days. So, and in the last days, they're scoffing at God's predictions and promises. It's ironic, isn't it? God says they're going to come and they're going to scoff, and then they come and they scoff. Now, that phrase, last days, I think I need to say something about it. Um, you, you might have heard some, some, uh, someone along the way talk about the, that last days as if it's a time that we're in that Peter wasn't. That's not how he saw things. Uh, the, as he writes here, he's, saying, he's writing to people among whom uh, scoffers already come. He's saying, yeah, last days included the days when he wrote. Actually, decades earlier at Pentecost, uh, Peter quoted the, what the prophet Joel said, about the last days in order to explain the Holy Spirit coming upon his people. Last days are all the days between Christ's coming and when Jesus returns. We know these are the last days because Jesus, who ascended into heaven, promised he will return. And everything will change when he returns. He will bring an end to injustice. He will act with justice. He will bring his people home. These are the last days until that. Peter lived for decades in the last days. There have been centuries of last days. Decades and centuries when Jesus and his prophets and and, uh, apostles predicted that there would be scoffers. And for decades and centuries, there have been scoffers fulfilling their prediction and scoffing at God's word and saying, it's unreliable. It's never true. They mock his predictions and they mock his promises. So what's the evidence they overlook? Well, they look back through history and what they don't see is that God has always worked through his word. God has always worked through his word. There are all sorts of examples that, that Peter could have picked to show us uh, God working through his word. He could have just pointed back a little way and said, uh, look at Jesus commanding wind and waves and demons and disease and death. He spoke and it was so. Or, or look through the, through the Old Testament history. Uh, look at the rise and falls, uh, fall of kings and nations, uh, plagues, uh, God providing but the scoffers scoff at what God said and what Jesus promised about the future of the heavens and the earth and of all of humanity. So Peter picks two examples from further back. 
God made the heavens and the earth through his word. God flooded the human world through his word. Verse 5, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water and by the word of God. See, outside of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, everything that exists, exists because God spoke. God worked through his word. Why is there something and not nothing? Why is there light? Uh, why are there heavens and earth? Well, because God said, and it was so. And there may be discussion among us about how God did it or, or how, God long spent, how long God spent doing it, but the Bible insists very, very clearly that God did it, God created, and he created through his word. Uh, Peter points in particular to Genesis chapter 1, verse 9, where God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. You hear that when, when Peter says, verse 5, The earth was formed out of water, through water, by the word of God. God spoke and it was so. And then verse 6, By means of the word of God and water, the world that existed was deluged with water and perished. God flooded the world through his word. He spoke, and again, it was so. Dry land disappeared underwater from which it had emerged. But Peter isn't putting our focus on the dry land. He says the world, meaning the ancient world, which God did not spare. Chapter 2, verse 5. He didn't spare it when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Not so much about the world, meaning the planet being flooded, as all of humanity being flooded. All the ungodly perished. God spoke judgment, and it was so. See, see what the scoffers are missing? They look back through history generations and generations and say nothing has ever changed not since the beginning of creation nothing has changed just same thing same thing same thing peter points and says hey you just mentioned creation that happened because god spoke and it was so you say it's always been the same you just Started to ignore the global judgment that God spoke. God has worked through his word. But it's not just that he has worked in the past. He is working through his word. Verse 7 shifts from past to present. Uh, God is working through his word. See, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. He's echoing the sort of thing he said in chapter 2, verse 4, about rebellious angels being kept in chains until the judgment. And chapter 2, verse 9, about the unrighteous being kept under punishment until the day of judgment. Here, chapter 3, verse 7, the entire created order being kept until the day of judgment and being kept through God's word. That's what God is doing. But it's not all that God is doing. It's not all that God's doing now. Verse 9. Verse 9 points to another way that God is working through his word in this time. 
He's patiently calling you to repent. These verses explain the delay, verses 8 and 9. Verse 8, uh, uh, Peter says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the, day, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. He doesn't experience time like we do. He's not in a rush to get things done before time runs out. And there's no urgency for him to do them before they're due. It sounds like the scoffers are complaining that the Lord has been very slow to keep his promise to return. They're saying he's late. They say, well, he's so late that he obviously isn't coming at all. Peter says, verse 9, the Lord is not slow. He's not late to fulfill his promise as some kind of slowness and lateness. But he is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The delay isn't a long time in Christ, from Christ's perspective, but the reason he's late isn't because he's lost track of time. The reason he's late isn't because he hasn't noticed that it feels like a very long time for us, but it's just a short time for him. It's a deliberate chosen delay. If he's late, if he's slow to come, it's because he is patient with you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's why he hadn't come. That's why he hasn't yet come. Neither Jesus nor his Father delight to judge and punish. They delight to save and rescue. And as the gospel is proclaimed, it does that work. It produces repentance and faith in those who hear. God's word is, sorry, God is working through his word as his gospel is preached. He is bringing men, women, and children to repentance. He is keeping men, women, and children repenting. In his great mercy and kindness and love, he is delaying the judgment, patiently calling you to repent. But verse 10, that doesn't mean that the judgment will never come. God said he will judge. Uh, Jesus promised he will return. And the Lord will keep his word. Verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, suddenly, unexpectedly for some. The Lord will come. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The Lord will keep his word. When he comes in universal judgment, everything will be exposed. Everything will be found out. So, in this time, so, so much sin, so much of what we do is covered up. No one else sees. So much of what others do, we do not see. So much injustice is seen and acknowledged by no one. Now, sometimes we see things and we think something should be done. Sometimes we see it done, often we see nothing done. 
But so much injustice is seen by no one, and nothing is done nigh. But, but in the end, when Jesus returns, everything will be brought to light. Everything will be seen. Perfect justice will be done. When Jesus judges, there will be no doubt when he punishes, that he punishes perfectly. The exact reward to fit the crime. He will come just as he said. But he delays coming to allow repentance. He delays coming in order to rescue this passage shows us God's word, God's word which we need to be reminded of, which we need to remember. It helps us see that we must remember God's word because, and that God speaks the Old and New Testaments to us. So read it. Read it and you'll see over and over and over, not just a few examples of God speaking and working through his word. You see that God has always worked through his word. You'll see how his uh, word and prediction and promise have already worked and been fulfilled. Uh, In creation and flood, in, in Abraham and Israel, in blessings and curses, in Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection, his sending the Spirit, his building his church among the nations. God has always worked through his word. He is working through his word and he will keep his word. Say it and live like it's true. That's faith. Head, heart and life tuned to God's true word. Seeing reality clearly because God speaks it to us and living as if what he says is true because we're convinced he is. The evidence keeps pushing us to be convinced it is. Uh, next week we'll look at the rest of chapter 3 uh, where Peter fills out uh, some of what it looks like to live as if um, this is true because you're convinced that it is. Uh, verse 11, since all these things are thus. Uh, verse 14, therefore next week. But fundamentally, responding to God who speaks is repentance. He is patient that we might repent. What is it, this repentance? Well, fundamentally, it's trusting that Jesus who died to buy you out from under sin and death and judgment did just that, trusting him to do that for you, to forgive your sin, to give you life which lasts into eternity, that when he comes in judgment, he will not come to judge you. It's turning in trust to Jesus who died 
to buy you out from under sin and death and judgment. And then living to please and honor the master who bought you. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak what is true. We thank you that you provide us uh, to one another. You um, give us access uh, to the Bible uh, that we might speak and remind one another of the truth. Father, please help us to see it. Please help us to see what is as you reveal it to us. Please open our eyes uh, to deceptions. Father, please build and grow our confidence in what is true and real. Father, please work in us that beginning and continuing trust in Jesus who died to bring it, to buy us out from under sin and death and judgments. And Father, please, by your Spirit, strengthen us to live, to please and honor Jesus as the Master who bought us. We ask in his name. Amen.